Now we're going to focus in on our text, and uh, we heard already those two scripture passages that were read to us. We're going to look at both of them, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and then Isaiah 53. But I wanted to start, first of all, with the story, and it's this. In 1947, there was a Bedouin shepherd boy looking after his sheep. He cared for his flock between the Judean hills and the Dead Sea. It was in this same place that David hid from Saul in the caves as he was being hunted. But this young shepherd left his flock of sheep and goats to search for a stray. He was intrigued to find a cave in a rocky hillside. So what did he do? He was, he was a shepherd boy. He was picked up some stones and he started throwing stones into that cave. And as the stones went in there, he heard something different. It was the sound of something breaking. It was breaking pots. As he threw his stones in, pots started shattering and falling apart. And upon entering the cave, he stumbled upon a mysterious collection of large clay jars that have been called the greatest archaeological find of the 20th century. And you know what they are the Dead Sea Scrolls. Shortly after, a Hebrew scholar said these words, My hands shook as I started to unwrap one of them. I suddenly had the feeling that I was privileged by destiny to gaze upon a Hebrew scroll which had not been read for more than 2,000 years. One of these scrolls included the entire book of Isaiah. And the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls was an incredible confirmation of the trustworthiness of Scripture. When they found that scroll of Isaiah, they were actually able to take back the dating of the previous scroll that was found more than a thousand years and to look to a scroll that was much, much older and to see how it was incredibly accurate to the Bible that we have today. Costly documents, precious documents, stored in mundane jars of clay. Clay jars are used for ordinary purposes. Clay jars are used for as dishes and wash, basin, wash basins and simple containers. And in archaeological digs, there are also Many, many broken pieces of pottery. Pottery, this pottery is, is very fragile. It breaks very easily and, and when it's broken, all you do is get another one. Clay jar has a role to play, but nonetheless, it's ordinary and fragile. No plastic back in the, that day, nothing that you could drop and say, oh, it's fine but it was always breakable. The world can be a tough place for a jar of clay. Now, Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God 
and not from us. Now, Paul does not say, I have this treasure in a jar of clay to show how important he is. But he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. The treasure is, is that to be a Christian is that Christ is in you. Christ is in you as a follower of Jesus. Christ is in you, Myrta. Christ is in you, Beth. Christ is in you, Glenn. Christ is in you. Christ is in us. Christ in you. That is the hope of glory, that Christ is in you. And we still are, though, as the scriptures say, a jar of clay. The world can be a tough place for a jar of clay. It's a strange strange place, though, for a treasure, isn't it? Why would you keep a treasure in a jar of clay? When you think of a treasure, where are you going to keep it? You're going to keep it under lock and key. Or if it's something valuable, a valuable document or an item, you might put it in a security box at the bank because you want cameras and locks and guards protecting it. But this treasure, this treasure is beautiful. It's not stored in something, but it's stored in someone. This treasure is in you. You who are flawed and breakable and wounded. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're told that one reason why God does this is that so we won't start making heroes of people where we're tempted to worship them or to honor them or to exalt some Christian person to say, oh, that's the really high one. Because as soon as you get to know a Christian person a little better, you say, oh, I see the strengths in you, but I also see the flaws in you. Um, one leader in the church many, many years ago said, um, a good bishop is a bad bishop <laughs> because he said, you're not going to be tempted to worship that leader, that Christian leader. Um, you know that the power really is coming from God. When we see the weakness of others, then we know that God is our salvation. Christian discipleship is not about displaying your strengths. It's about showing your weaknesses. One other way to put it is this. Crackpots are not disqualified from Christ's service. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a crackpot. <laughs> and then you can remind them too, they are not disqualified from Christ's service. You know, Martin Luther said, the righteous man always resembles more of a loser than a victor. For the Lord lets him be tested and assailed to his utmost limits as gold is tested in a furnace. When we see our weaknesses and insecurity, what's our default action? Our, our default reaction, we know we have weakness, we know we have something we're really struggling with, and we try to cover it up. We try to hide it. Um, but that's not Jesus' way. Jesus' way is to say, as we reveal it, Jesus wants us to be aware of those things and to even admit it to another person, to another Christian, to say, 
I am struggling with this. We're ordinary. We're fragile. Paul, why, why does Paul talk about his own weakness? Paul was blessed in so many ways. He had amazing leadership skills. He was an evangelist and he built churches. He had visions from God, but he also had this thorn in the flesh. And the interesting thing is, maybe it's good. We don't even know what his thorn was. Many scholars try to speculate and guess what it is, but maybe it's good we don't know what his flaw is because we might be tempted to to try to have that flaw then afterwards and to try to idolize that thing. But, But we don't know, but we know that he had a deep struggle and he kept praying, Lord, will you please take it away? Will you please take it away? Will you please take it away? And God said, what? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. You can live with this. Somehow in God's economy, God is ready to work through people who are weak. He is ready to show his power through us when we admit our inadequacy. You know, we're really glad that we could introduce our team that will be sent to the Philippines. We already started uh, started studying in, in uh, preparation for our trip. And uh, we have been learning this, that if we want to go on mission, we have to recognize, first of all, our own poverty. What a lesson. In order for us to go to serve to another place and to give elsewhere, we have to recognize our own poverty. The reconciling work of Christ is to bring healing to the poverty in all of us. Think of David. Here's David, the the king of Israel, the rich king, the great leader. And yet in Psalm 40, he writes these words, yet I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. So the world isn't just us and them. We we can't draw this line to say, okay, it's, it's us, it's them. We're the rich, they're the poor, we're the strong, they're the weak. But it's all of us with different kinds of wounds who need a savior. All of us with different struggles who need somebody to lean on. If I talk with someone struggling with depression, or if I speak to a woman who is recently bereaved, or if there is someone struggling in our family, or if there is someone who feels just burnt out, then that person is a co-pilgrim on the journey. And you know, that's what I love about our church. When we see each other as co-pilgrims, that we're traveling together, we're, we're in together on this journey. We need each other. When my faith is weak, I can lean on yours. And when yours is weak, you can lean on me. Christian story, though, is something more. We've come to the halfway point, if you're wondering, how far is this person through the message? We've covered that passage and that portion in Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 4, we've spent some time looking at that to say, we have this treasure in jars of clay. We, We are weak and wounded. We need to acknowledge that. But but there's another step that we need to take now. The Christian story does not just look at our own wounds. The Christian story 
looks at and contemplates the wounds of Jesus, we must consider the wounds of Jesus. As we anticipate Palm Sunday next week, aren't you excited about next week? Some of our, some from here are preparing for baptism. We look forward to the day to share it together. We consider Good Friday. We consider the death of Jesus on the cross. We are following Jesus all the way to the cross. And in fact, next week is the beginning of Holy Week. And there will be services taking place each evening just as we prepare ourselves for the cross. But we're on that road to the cross now. And, and we learn that Jesus was a man of suffering, familiar with pain. Even he did not bypass this part of the journey. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. It's all a part of the description of the Messiah in Isaiah 53. But Isaiah 53 takes us further into the mystery where we read, By his wounds we are healed. Isaiah 53, 5. This verse is also repeated, clearly described of Jesus in the New Testament. Peter writes out this verse and quotes it again in 1 Peter 2, 24. By his wounds we are healed. But there are a few important lessons that I want us to remind us of here. Maybe they're just so simple. The first one is printed already on the screen. I want to walk through four observations that I have made just by thinking of that sentence. And the first one is this, simply this, Jesus was wounded. Simple, isn't it? But if we want to understand Jesus, we have to understand his suffering on the cross. He was wounded. He was wounded. Sometimes when we face our weaknesses and our limitations, we may be tempted to ask, Oh, what bad thing have I done to deserve this? Um, I must have done something really wrong. Or, or maybe you look at another person who is just going through extended hard times and you've heard them say, what bad things have I done? Or, or maybe you think, oh, they must have done something really bad to be in the situation that they're in. But because of the wounds of Jesus, I can never conclude, oh, this person has hard times because of the wrong that they have done. Jesus, who did not sin, was also wounded. Jesus, who did not sin, was also wounded. So we cannot judge another person and look at another person and say, they are suffering because of those bad things that they have done. Okay? Jesus was wounded. Second thing is this. God's goal is to heal us. His goal is not to leave you stuck where you are. Are you struggling with something? Maybe it's, whether it's a physical illness or an emotional struggle of emotional pain that you are carrying, he wants to take you through your valley and to bring you to the other side. Your wounds, it's important for you to remember this, your wounds are not a permanent place. We have seen people in our church find healing from addictions. Have you seen that in people before? 
We've seen people in our church, have you seen this before, where people choose hope over despair, love over hatred? Every time that happens, really, it's a miracle of God's healing. It's, it's participating in God's goodness, overcoming our own wounded condition. Some healing conversations I have are with people who just start by acknowledging their own wounds. I'm really struggling with this. Even that brings the beginning of a healing process. I feel like I've experienced that at our Emotionally Healthy Relationships course here at our church on Monday nights. It feels like a holy place when we choose to hope or when we choose to forgive or where we choose to acknowledge those things that we're struggling with. And healing comes. We pray for healing here and now. But sometimes we have to wait for that healing. I knew an elderly woman who suffered a lot of abuse in her life. She laughed on the outside, but inwardly she really carried a lot of pain because of the abuse, the physical abuse that she experienced in her married life. And even as she uh, became a senior and in her senior years and was long separated from that difficult circumstance, she still struggled deeply with forgiveness of her abuser. And for many years, she struggled with that. There were times when I would go to visit her and she still would cry and she lived in fear and she lived in the inability of, of really being able to forgive that was the, of the things that were done to her in the past. And, and, and we prayed together. And then I would go to see her again and we prayed again. And then I would go to see her the next month or a few months later and we prayed again for that healing. And, and I don't know if it really fully came to her in this lifetime. The wounds were deep. They hit her very hard. But I believe this, that weeping may last for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. There still is healing, and God's goal is to heal us. God's goal is always to take us to a place of healing. The third thing that we learn is this. His wounds are the things that heal us. His wounds heal us. Now, is there not a mystery here? I think in all the years that, that we've been here at MCBC, we've never heard a pastor get up and be able to explain that fully because we are here dealing with mystery. Mystery to say that his wounds are the things that heal us. The cross is the story of a great exchange where we give God all of our sin, all of our wounds, all of our failures. Just imagine that. Giving him everything, every burden that we have, and then we trade it. He takes it upon himself on the cross, and he exchanges it, and he gives us pardon, forgiveness, healing, Approval, approval to say, you're my loved child. I'm so pleased with you. 
I do not claim to understand how it all happens, but this is the message I delight in, and I hope you do. It's a message that I delight in every day. Tis mystery all, immense and free. My hope for our church is that we might live in that healing. By his wounds you are healed. Come and find your cleansing in this wounded Savior. The um, Canadian author Anne Voskamp writes, Wounded warriors win. There is no remission of sins or crossing the finish line without things getting bloody. It's a mess. But God brings that healing, and he's ready to bring it to us in our lives. There's a way in which we could stop right there, because that's the heart of the gospel right here, that we're looking at at the truth that his wounds heal us, But I want to take us one step further, just as we go along and thinking about this whole idea of what we're looking at, by his wounds we are healed. And the fourth thing that we learn is this. Jesus wants us to work with him in healing the wounds of others. This job is not just for Jesus, but also for us to be agents of healing. Think of Jesus' uh, most... I think one of the most famous stories that Jesus told, the parable of the Good Samaritan, we discover this in the story that the Samaritan bandages the wounds of the man to bring him healing. And what does Jesus say at the very end of the story? He says, what does this mean? Go and do likewise. Go, and so if that is true, as we think of that text and story, our job is to go and bandage the wounds of other people. Even though we have wounds, we need to find our healing first of all. We need to find our healing at the Savior, at the foot of the cross. But then we are sent out to go and to heal the wounds of others. And Jesus uses us even in our poverty and in our weakness to do that as well. Now, the psychologist Carl Jung, he did not call himself a Christian. But he used the phrase that is remarkably Christian when he said that um, we are to be wounded healers. He suggested this, that it is one's own hurt that gives a measure of one's power to heal. And I think what it means is this, is as we come to grips with our own hurts and our own broken hearts, then we are able to enter into the life of another person to help give them the healing that they can receive. You see, if we have not really received that healing, then it's hard for us to offer and to give that healing to another person as well. There's a way, isn't that true as well? Every time you get on an airplane, you know the thing that they say is, Put your mask on first before you give it to another person. Find that healing yourself so that you can share that healing with someone else. We need to realize this also. For us as humans, Jesus heals all people, but but we have limitations. We can't help everyone around us. We're limited here, and even in the church. We can't help everyone all around us, but there is a circle that you can help. There is a circle of people that you are called to help and serve to heal their wounds. 
We need to pray about where we can offer our service and ministry of healing. Now, there's a saying that I've heard a lot, and you've heard it too. Here's the saying, time heals all wounds. The more I think about it, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Some people just say, well, just give it more time. Just give it more time. It, it's it's going to heal. It, it's going to get better. Maybe we think about how somebody has hurt us. And, and we maybe say, well, and then we'll say, well, someday I'll get over this. Time doesn't heal it. But God invites us to be actively involved in the process of healing. How can we trust God for the possibility of healing and reconciliation? Well, sometimes there are rifts in relationships where they need to be healed, and you experience that pain in the relationship. Time doesn't heal that, but we can take the next step. Somehow we need to learn from Jesus. Jesus, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, what Jesus did was, we are the sinners, and he made the move towards us, the first step towards us. We love because he first loved us. While we were sinners, Christ made the move. He moved towards us, and now we get to follow his example. Healing of wounds. This healing work is found in the teachings of Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, first... Go and be reconciled with your brother. First, go and make it right with your sister. Then come. Then come to church and offer your gift. Then come here and offer your gift. These steps towards healing are what make us the body of Christ. It's a challenge for all of us, isn't it? But I do know this. The church is the healed community. That's always God's goal. So not only is it true that that Jesus is the wounded healer, Jesus was wounded for us and heals us through his wounds. Jesus is the wounded healer, but God invites us to partner with him in being wounded healers with one another. Now, this does not mean that we have to counter every story that people tell us with their response of, Oh, I've been there. Let me tell you exactly about the struggle that I had and how I overcame that. Our goal is not to showcase our wounds. Oh, you have a bad wound. Let me show you my bad wound and how much worse it is than yours. You're sick. Let me tell you about my sickness and how much worse my sickness is than yours. You're burned out. Let me tell you about my burnout. But the best thing is just not to draw attention to ourselves, but simply to walk with a struggling friend through their issue. And what we realize then is God's complete healing is his job. It's not mine. You know, that's the good news, right? We we invite each week, maybe especially today, maybe there's some of you that say, I need a prayer of healing whether it's emotional or physical or spiritual, I have a prayer for healing. And we invite you each week to come up to the front just by the piano side as members of our prayer team are ready to greet you 
and to welcome you and to pray with you. But the thing that we have full confidence in is full and complete healing is God's job. It's not our job. We simply gather together to ask God for what he will do in your life. But what we know about Jesus is it was a costly healing, wasn't it? It was a painful, costly healing. And if that is true, if we are to be agents of healing also, it can cost us. I'm never going to make the step. I'd never reach out to talk to that person. Let them make the first move. It's because it's costly for us to let the wall down and to let that person in one more time. Sometimes the pain is just too great and we need to be careful. But we have to be agents of healing, whether it's mending a quarrel, whether it's walking with a struggling friend or forgiving those who who have wronged us. It's also costly for us. So over these weeks as we approach Easter, let's prepare ourselves to consider the mystery of Christ's love for us. In the book of Isaiah, we are told of a suffering servant. And then we read, by his wounds, we are healed. May you and I delight in this today, for we have this wonderful treasure in jars of clay. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege of worshiping you for the privilege of meeting together here, for the privilege of of hearing your truth. And now, Lord, we pray that you would do your work in us to heal us again because we're standing in need of you once again and saying, here I am, Lord. Also today, I'm, I'm poor, I'm needy. And we thank you that you hear us and that you're ready to work through us, even though we are jars of clay. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.